This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCube, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Things Jackpot. We've just marked a year of the lockdown in South Africa, and what a year it has been. Good grief. What we have been through and still are going through is absolutely tragic. This thing can feel so overwhelming and incredibly traumatic. The last year has been filled with so much grief. We have lost loved ones, businesses, incomes, health, and every ounce of what we used to call normal. It's been really tough, but as I always say, in times of tragedy, always look for the helpers as they will always be there, and they are the heroes that we need to celebrate. My guest today is not only a hero, but someone that many people look up to. She helped draft the final constitution of South Africa in 1996. She was the public protector of South Africa for over seven years, was named one of Time 100's most influential people in the world, and is now holding a chair in social justice at the Stellenbosch University. Advocate and professor Tuli Maronsela has pushed for the last year, this COVID year, to make sure that no one gets left behind as the country works on some sort of recovery plan post-COVID. And the prof has joined me today to chat about her social justice journey and what she's currently busy with. Welcome, Professor Maronsela. It's an absolute honor to have you on the show. The honor is all mine, Brent. Greetings to everyone who listens to this wonderful podcast. Thank you very much. Before we talk about all your projects and events, I just want to set the scene for my listeners. So social justice is a term that many people use, especially now uh, in the last year. For the sake of this interview, could you perhaps give me your definition of it and why you believe it's so important in these unprecedented times? Social justice is not socialism. It is not BEE. It is a situation where there is fair and equal access to all opportunities, resources, benefits, privileges. And also there is fair distribution of burdens in a society. Basically, that's what's just fair and equitable distribution of all that's good in society and also the burdens. And I mean, why is social justice so important now? We've been living in this year where I I like to say the weird just got weirder, like everything just really fell off balance for all of us. But social justice is something that is important. Do you think it is more important now more than ever? It is. And just social justice is more important now more than ever before. Because of two headwinds that have turned into life quakes for people, as you said in your introduction, businesses have died, people have lost jobs, people have lost loved ones, people are anxious about loved ones, the possibility of loved ones being infected and about the possibility of them being infected and the possibility of them dying and their loved ones dying. And in that particular case, inequalities have become very acute, very real, because when you are higher up in the social and economic structure of society, 
it's much easier to be cushioned against the headwinds that have come with the coronavirus, COVID-19. For example, when we went online, those of us who have data connectivity and digital devices, all kinds of digital devices, we're able to go online and do our work online. A lot of people had to go without any food because of that. And when government kindly offered services, those services were pitched with the understanding that everyone understands how the system works. Now we know that lots of monies that were supposed to save businesses from dying are still there because very few could take advantage of these opportunities. It's been very, it's been very tough to watch from the sidelines. Somewhere along the line, at the beginning of lockdown, Good Things Guy became a conduit for people to contact for food, for resources, for help with their businesses. They thought for some reason that we would be able to assist. And unfortunately, I mean, I just tell the good news. I'm not the person on the ground that is making these changes and helping. What happened in that time, luckily, was that we were able to marry businesses, organizations, charities, people fighting for social justice to help these organizations. I must ask, so you moved to Stellenbosch University a little while ago, and the idea of setting up a law chair in social justice was born. Was this always an issue close to your heart? It certainly was. Social justice has been my quest since I was about 18 when I joined the trade union movement on a part-time basis. My very first research paper that was dealing with the gender dimension of social justice was done even earlier than that. And, And even during my days as the law commissioner, the full-time law commissioner, my main project was Project 25, which was about aligning the law with the Constitution and primarily Section 9 of the Constitution. And as part protector, people know me mostly on the basis of state capture, Nkandla, abuse of state funds, etc. But really the cases that were closest to my heart were the Kokotlamini cases that were about embracing the humanity of everyone, treating everyone as an equal in a society of equals. Even when I joined the team in dealing with the corruption cases, my enthusiasm for corruption or for combating corruption is because corruption is the greatest violation of social justice. Firstly, it creates an uneven playing field, but secondly, it steals resources that are meant to address the legacy of colonialism, apartheid, patriarchy, and other injustices that were legalized in the past. Did you ever think that this is where the next chapter would lead you? Absolutely. I had told myself that my last chapter in this world would be lecturing, and then I would do a little bit of litigation, which I haven't done yet, and I would also then do community impact work. And, and I'm grateful that Stellenbosch University, of all of the offers I got, they gave me a kind of offer that puts me on the ground. Everything else was vice chancellor, dean, and big organizational things that were executive. I did not want to do executive work. I wanted an interface with students an interface with communities, and an interface with policymakers 
to start fixing some of the things we have been fixed in the last few years of democracy. That's one of the things that I put on my social media yesterday when I was um, putting it out there that I wouldn't be chatting with you, is the fact that you've taken your skills and your expertise and your knowledge, and you're literally passing it on to the future leaders of this country. You're taking everything that you know, putting it into the social justice space and teaching the young minds of today that could possibly become the future leaders of tomorrow. And I think that's commendable. It's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. I must say, though, Brent, that I'm making up for my sins as well. You must recall, and you said, sir, that I was one of the drafters of the Constitution. But in addition to that, from 1995, I was in charge of drafting a Justice Vision 2000, which was the transformation strategy for the justice system the judicial system and state legal services, which would have included the Law Reform Commission. And I was involved in drafting laws such as Equality Act, Employment Equity Act. And also I'm one of those people who have benefited from the low-lying fruits of democracy. And when I look back, I see gaps in terms of the things we prioritize and the things we fail to do. And I take responsibility, among others, mm-hmm. over the fact that Despite a constitution that very expressly says we are establishing a society that is based on democratic values, social justice, and fundamental human rights, we are healing the divisions of the past. We are establishing a society for where everyone's potential is freed and everyone's life is improved. We have become the most unequal society in the entire world. Inequality has expanded. Poverty has expanded. So we have to we have to take responsibility and say we had good intentions, but there's something we didn't do right. That's a very powerful statement that you've made, and it leads me into my next question, which I think you've already answered. But we could we could go deeper into it. Whose shoulders does the responsibility rest on in social justice in fixing this inequality? in our country. I'm going to answer it by asking the question, but is it every single South African's responsibility to get our hands dirty and and get involved? Absolutely. It's every single person's responsibility. And also it's everyone's peril if we don't fix it. Also, again, powerful statements. It's, It's in our hands to make a difference. And I guess that we have to decide what sort of difference we want to make. Um, I, I need to ask, so the listeners are going to hear about this, but it's it's called the Musa Plan for Social Justice. How did you conceptualize it and what does it hope to achieve? The way we conceptualized it was really in three stages. The first stage was mine. All I wanted to do was to design an app for policymakers to stop making laws that take a view of one size fits all. Laws that are indifferent to disadvantage and indifferent to difference. Because I knew, having done this way for many years and done some research at Harvard, that as long as we continued to make those laws that treat everyone the same, and then come back with BEE laws or employment equity laws and things like that, we will never eliminate poverty and inequality. So I wanted to just do an app. And then I met a grandmother from Ireland. I was presenting the inaugural Salzburg lecture. Salzburg 
they do this work in support of the Marshall Plan. So I had to speak about the Marshall Plan and the work that had been done and how the changing of hearts and minds was as important as the structural work that was being done to deal with the devastating effect of Nazism in the Second World War. Well, this grandmother said to me, you can fix the laws, but what about what you already have? Because the new laws cannot fix the legacy that you already have. You need something like a Marshall Plan. And therefore, I came back to South Africa to an event that was organized by the Tumor Foundation for women leading the healing of the divisions of the past and presented this idea from this Irish grandmother. And everyone loved it and accept the name. They said, no, let's call it a Musa Plan. And why we call it the Musa Plan is that people like Balisa Musa, Never again should they be left behind while some of us enjoy the low-lying fruits of democracy. You will agree with me that apartheid and colonialism were like some kind of monopoly game. Where one team, I would say it's wearing blue, is allowed to play and pass the game to, to people like them over years. The blue team starts playing and then everything is taken away from it and it's kicked out of the game. And after many rounds, you then say, no, not the blue team, the pink team. After many rounds, you say the pink team can play. All the hotels have been built, houses have been built if you know how to play Monopoly. And therefore, the pink team is coming at the mercy of the blue team. If you don't reset the game, there'll never be equality it's a perfect example and the perfect way to explain it because that is the problem in our society and we do need to reset. You need a master plan to start again. Exactly. Unfortunately, Brent, in real life, you can't reset. You can't <laughs> say, okay, I remember when we have it, we're debating it and somebody will say, okay, this is the way. Take away everyone's land. Take away everyone's money. Start from scale one. You can't operate like that in real life. So the M plan is doing what is humanly possible and saying, okay, government, we will help you to do laws that are not indifferent to difference and disadvantage. It will, will help you to use data analytics, gaming. We're busy working with gamers, engineers, etc., to design something that is impact conscious when you design policies. But we're asking society, the second key result area of the M plan is asking society to donate as little as five rands. And we've seen that society can do this, you know, 10 rands makes it makes a difference. Somebody started that and within days, I think less than 10 days, it raised two million. So that's the idea. Action for inclusion, we've done the same thing. Small amounts of money. They like raindrops that come together to create the mighty sea. So that's part. And then the third part of the M plan is social cohesion. Because of persisting structural inequality, which has a color that is uh, black, that is female, that is rural, that is township, and all of those things, we remain polarized as a country. And so part of the M plan is to rebuild the social fabric of society and also crooked politicians that have stolen from the people of South Africa have exploited this chasm between the people and among the people. And therefore, they do what we call political entrepreneurism, encouraging extremism among those who feel left behind. Not that they like these people. I mean, some of them, they themselves were enjoying 
the joy ride or what was called the gravy train. And mm. when that gravy train was taken away from them, suddenly they're the greatest advocates of the poor. But again, if we don't though, help the poor in a very structured way where we bring all hands on deck, people will gravitate towards extremism. And we saw that being done when I started doing the investigation on state capture. People were hijacked to try and stop the investigation and claiming that these ones were being persecuted because they had been helping the people. I mean, that administration had been there for nine years. Who stopped them? The state capture investigation happened in the last year. Who stopped them from uplifting the people of South Africa? Why are we the most unequal society in the world? The third part, international community, that the international community should also join us. Stop illicit financial cash flows. And where friends of South Africa are, are able to remit some money into this national fund, we would appreciate that. 100%. I have to ask because you are very knowledgeable, obviously working in that space, in politics, in corruption, in fighting for what is right. As South Africans, as many South Africans, they don't know as much as you. And knowledge is ultimately power. But in this case, knowledge can also be heartbreaking. How do you keep getting up every morning and keep fighting for what is right when you see so many things that are wrong? Well, because there are also so many things that are right. And there's so many people that are doing good like you. For example, your good news stories are stories about the good that's happening in our society. In fact, to be honest, there's more good that's happening in this country of ours than the terrible things. So what makes me keep going is we make a difference every day. Like, you know, that guy that was throwing starfish back into the sea that had beached themselves and somebody asked why are you helping these starfish because they're going to beach themselves and he took one threw it as far as possible into the water and said it makes a difference to this one so all my life I've been working with everyone to do that to throw things I've helped with education I mean just now with action for inclusion and and the graciousness of the University of Stellenbosch Every student has been registered. The debt of the students that we had, I had secured from my family, a surety for 2.1 million, which was quite scary. And so that debt has been eroded now. But why was it eroded? It's because of the power of the human spirit. When we work together, we can fix this. And working here at Stanford University also makes it easy for me to wake up every morning because I didn't come to Stellenbosch and say I wanted to establish a social justice chair. The University of Stellenbosch decided that it wanted to establish a social justice chair because social justice is one of the strategic priorities of the University of Stellenbosch. And it's not just relegated to a corner where it's happening at the law school. Every time our vice chancellor speaks, he mentions what else are we doing on social justice and the other people in the rectorate, the deans, etc. So it's an environment where so many human beings are trying to turn things around. And with the M plan, it's about connecting those lights so that we can make the greatest of impact. 
Prof, you're making me want to come back to university and I'm at no age where I can study again. I don't think I have any time for that, but you're making me want to come and join your lecture and, and just to sit and listen to you all day. At the time of recording this, you are right now preparing for the second annual social justice lecture with Keith Benson. Can you tell me what you hope to achieve with this event and why you specifically invited him? Okay, let's start with what we hope to achieve we hope that we're going to move to the next level of implementing the social justice M plan. And Keith Errol Benson says he has a fresh angle on how South Africa and America can provide a gold standard of leadership when it comes to turning things around on social justice. Remember, we didn't invent this problem. Nobody alive invented the problems we face. Whether it's social justice in terms of gender inequality, LGBTQI community, foreigners, black people, rural versus urban, young versus old, none of us invented the problem, but it's our problem now. If we own it, we can fix it. And Keith says he will tonight be telling us how. He has written a book, The Power and the Glory, which covers some of his ideas, but he has a fresh angle tonight and I'm looking forward to it. How did I get to meet him? We, we did the same course at Harvard, the advanced leadership course, the advanced leadership initiative fellowship. I am a 2017 fellow. He's a 2020 fellow. And he reached out to me and said, how can I help you? I would like to help. And this is, this is exactly what we're supposed to do with social justice. Find each other, join hands and move forward. Because as I say, we didn't invent this problem, but it's ours now. And if we join hands, we can fix it. Because if you can say, when spider webs combine, they can tie up a lion. When spider webs combine, they can tie up a line. And I think that is important to remember. Uh, we rise by lifting each other is what it, what it ultimately comes down to. And we have to do that together. We have to. Absolutely. Um, what amazes me about you, Prof, is how you find the time to take on all the things you do in your diary. And I've been privy to seeing just a piece of your diary. So I know you're incredibly busy, but you're a lecturer. <laughs> You published a children's book last year. You climbed mountains to raise funds for student debt. And you just keep going. There's no off button. Do you ever just relax and read a book? What is your, what is your downtime look like? My downtime includes mountain climbing. Yes, I submitted Kilimanjaro to give back to girls because somebody gave to me as a girl. I wouldn't have completed high school if nobody paid for my fees grade 11 to 12. But Track for Mandela gave back to me as well. I now have discovered an outdoors love that I had as a child. I was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist. We used to do these things outdoors. So now it was easy with... Professor Sonia Human to decide that to help the students will also do mountain climbing. So that's part of my downtime, the climbing. If I'm not climbing, I also work, I also walk where I am. I like listening to motivational tapes, spiritual tapes, and blinkers, which is shortened versions of books, because most of the time when I'm reading, I'm reading academic stuff legal stuff and policy stuff. And then, of course, news. It helps if 
I find a book that I really like to just go and listen to a summary of it on Blinkist. And then, of course, I love a cup of tea with my friends. That's why we also have the Social Justice Cafe. It was literally meant to be a cup of tea or coffee. Unfortunately, COVID-19 took that away. Well, Prof, I am going to come to the university when, when we can do so safely. And I'm going to come and visit you. And I'm, I'm going to ask if I can come and sit in one of your lectures just so that I can learn more about social justice and that I can implement that in the work that I'm doing. I've got one more question. And it's a, it's a broad stroke, but I'd, I'd like to see if you can help us out here. For ordinary South Africans who want to change the world, who want to do better, who want to make the world a better place, do you have any advice for South Africans who want to be the change? Absolutely. I would say the first thing is read about social justice and inequality because a lot of things have to do with people not knowing what's happening. For example, you see somebody struggling, you think they're struggling because they're lazy or they're struggling because they don't want to work hard enough. It's important to know that. Read also about unconscious biases because one of the saddest legacies of the past is that we have now been wired to think of humanity in a hierarchy. Women are the bottom, poor people are the bottom, black people are the bottom, foreigners, things like that, or LGBTQI community, we also push them down the ladder. Just read about that, which in other words, read and grow so that you be a good person. You're not part of the problem in social justice. Secondly, if you can help someone in the smallest possible way. I remember one of my students wanted to do just one kind thing, which was to help her domestic worker to get a driver's license. And she started that process. And that's important because it's expensive to get a a driver's license license. And if you're a domestic worker, that could cost you your whole salary. So you can do something like that. Help some child to go to school if you can. I was told that there was a Turkish custom where if you went into the shop and had money, more money, you buy two loaves of bread and you leave another loaf of bread at the shop for whoever will come in who doesn't have bread and the shop will give it, will give it to them. So it's, it's small things like that. But more than anything else, join the social justice movement, be part of the implant so that together we can push back against corruption, against division, and also collect these raindrops, these tiny amounts of money through supermarkets and reinvest all of that money in all of the 4,392 municipal wards so that we may level the playing field. Level the playing field. I think that's super, super important. I thank you for your time. Like I said, I know you're an incredibly busy person. So for you to take almost 40 minutes out of your day to sit and chat with me. I'm honored. I'm thankful. And um, Advocate Madonsela, Professor Madonsela, I will continue following you on all. I I follow you on Twitter. I'm there every day. Uh, I'm seeing what you get up to. And I'm going to post a link to your Twitter on the bio of this as well, so that all of our listeners can continue just following the good work you do. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege to do this. Thank you so much. Take care.